1: This is the Bob France Authority, broadcasting live from our nation's capital at the Federation for American Immigration Reform, holding their
2: feet to the fire. On AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number two underway now, indeed, from Washington, D.C. Thanks for joining us on this Wednesday morning. It is the... Uh, 25th morning of the ninth month of the year of our Lord 2019. Really, really great conversations thus far, uh, with, uh, tremendous, uh, uh tremendously insight people. Chris Chemilinski from Numbers USA and Brandon Judd from the National Border Patrol Council. Um, our next guest is going to be in about 10 minutes when we talk with Mark Krikorian of the Center for Immigration Studies. And I'm glad we don't have a guest, uh, guest now because I'm able to uh, divert attention away from the issue uh, for which we are here at uh, in uh, Washington, D.C. this morning. And that is uh, to talk about the transcript that has been released just minutes ago. The Ukraine call transcript between the president and the uh, president of uh, Ukraine that has led to this impeachment inquiry by the Democrats. They did not know what it would say. They did not know, uh, uh, they did not have any firsthand knowledge, uh, for, of the, uh, call from, uh, the quote unquote whistleblower who was not there. But they moved on impeachment yesterday anyway. And here's the report the White House released a transcript of President Trump's July call with, uh, Ukrainian President, uh, Zelensky, showing him seeking a review of Biden's family dealings in the country. But the document does not show Trump leveraging military aid as part of a quid pro quo, as Democrats have suggested in pressing forward with their impeachment inquiry. The transcript, declassified by the president yesterday, indicates the call, which Trump made from the White House residence, took place July 25th, From 9.03 a.m. to 9.33 a.m. It begins with the president congratulating Zelensky on his election win before Trump eventually broaches the subject of former Vice President Joe Biden and his son Hunter. Quote, there's a lot of talk about Biden's son, that Biden stopped the prosecution. And and let me pause here and editorialize. Yeah, there's a lot of talk, and that talk comes from Biden. Biden. Who bragged about it. We played the audio for you. Uh, Hugh Hewitt played the audio for you again this morning. He bragged about stopping the prosecution of the energy company that had hired Biden's son Hunter to sit on their board, even though he had no experience at all in the energy industry and no experience at all in Ukraine. Yet they hired him to sit on their board at a princely salary of $50,000 per month. Clearly, an attempt to buy influence in the United States government by way of the vice president. But anyway, Trump said, and I quote, There's a lot of talk about Biden's son that Biden stopped the prosecution, and a lot of people want to find out about that. So, whatever you can do with the attorney general would be great, Trump said in a phone call. Biden went around bragging that he stopped the prosecution. So, if you can look into it, it sounds horrible to me, end quote. That's it. That's their. If that's their smoking gun, they've got a lot of problems. Because he did not threaten to withhold aid. He simply asked the president about this particular incident and the impact, quite frankly, on our money. Look, we give hundreds of millions of dollars in foreign aid to Ukraine. And for the president to inquire about how that money is being spent, whether it's being spent illegally or in a corrupt manner on people like Hunter Biden, is a legitimate inquiry. Anyway, back to the report. This refers to Joe Biden while vice president urging Ukraine to fire its top prosecutor, Viktor Shokin, while Shokin was investigating the natural gas firm Burisma Holdings, where Hunter Biden was on board, on the board. Uh, Biden has maintained that corruption concerns prompted his intervention. Um, I think that should say Trump has maintained that corruption concerns prompted the intervention. But at any rate, the report continues. Trump, in the run-up to the transcripts release, was accused by Democrats of essentially pressuring a foreign power to investigate a political opponent, as Biden is now a top contender for the 2020 Democratic presidential nomination. On Monday... It was reported that Trump had even ordered his staff to freeze nearly $400 million in aid to Ukraine a few days before the phone call with Zelensky, a detail that fueled impeachment calls leading to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi announcing a formal inquiry Tuesday. But the call transcript does not include any mention of that aid as a bargaining chip or otherwise. What it does show is Zelensky suggesting to Trump that the Biden matter would be looked into by a new prosecutor. He or she will look into the situation specifically to the company that you mentioned in this issue. The issue of the investigation of the case is actually the issue to restore the honesty. So we will take care of that, and we will work on the investigation of the case. The president told Zelensky, according to the transcript, that he wanted his lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, and Attorney General Bill Barr to get involved, saying, quote, I will have Mr. Giuliani give you a call, and I'm also going to have Attorney General Barr call, and we will get to the bottom of it. I'm sure you will figure it out. End quote. So before the transcript was released... Democrats accused Trump of improperly using his office to pressure another country to investigate one of his chief rivals. Trump has denied wrongdoing and repeatedly referred to the impeachment push as a partisan, partisan witch hunt, which of course it is. Will the Democrats apologize, the president tweeted this morning after seeing what was said on the call with the Ukrainian president? They should. A perfect call. Got them by surprise. The Trump Zelensky conversation against, uh, excuse me, led to a whistleblower complaint, as you know. But the Justice Department, in a new letter from the Office of Legal Counsel obtained by Fox News, pushes back on the claim that the whistleblower brought out something of urgent concern that would have to be turned over to Congress. Quote, For the reasons set forth, we conclude that the complaint uh, submitted to the ICIG does not involve an urgent concern. As a result, the statute does not require the DNI transmit the complaint to the Intelligence Committee. So, in other words, the... Uh, Office of Legal Counsel said, no, he doesn't have to turn over anything to these committees. And yet President Trump did it anyway. Why? Just to dispel their rumors and their innuendo and their lies, essentially, that he threatened to withhold aid if they didn't look in to Joe Biden and Hunter Biden. Now, Pelosi says, even without a quid pro quo illustrated in the transcript, which there isn't, Democrats are likely to move move full speed ahead on impeachment. Because uh, just simply even uh, asking them to look into Biden would be enough of a reason. Now, I should point out here that when we talk about impeachment of of a sitting president, we cannot just talk about it in, well, we don't like him. He did something that we don't like or we don't like him because he won an election that we didn't think he would win. You're talking about impeachment of president. It better be for an illegal action and a legal action that amounts to essentially high crimes and misdemeanors before you can even take the extraordinary step of inquiring about impeachment. This is not that. This is just the culmination of their attempts that began back on November 8, 2016, when they lost an election that they thought surely they had won. They have been wanting to impeach him ever since, and this is what they have started now. All right, uh, it's ten 15. We'll get a quick timeout here. and On the other side of that timeout, we should be able to move right back into our immigration discussions. Mark Krikorian is our next scheduled guest, Center for Immigration Studies Executive Director. We continue live here in Washington, D.C. from the Federation for American Immigration Reforms, holding their feet to the fire 2019 event, and we're back after this. it's the bob france authority here on am 1420 the answer it's the bob france authority live from our nation's capital on am 1420 the answer okay we're good make it hot it is uh, 1020 now as we continue on AM 1420. The answer live once again from the Federation for American Immigration Reforms. Hold their feet to the fire 2019. And uh, there's a lot going on in Washington, D.C. right now. As I just uh, laid out, uh, the president uh, has indeed uh, gotten his wish. They have released the transcript of his phone call with the, um, with the Ukrainian president back in July. It is a giant nothing burger. And we'll talk more about that as the situation allows. But we are here to talk about immigration. And joined now by Mark McCory. he is the executive director of the Center for Immigration Studies. And, uh, Mark, I I was talking earlier on... Uh, with uh, Chris Chemilinski from Numbers USA. And I asked him this question. I want to ask you as well. FAIR is a, a, an immigration activist and uh, uh, advocates uh, organization. So is the CIS. So is Numbers USA. But you all do something a little bit different. And, right. and it looks like you're not in competition because obviously FAIR invites you and Chris and others to come here and, and join in this collective effort. Can you kind of separate out what CIS does that's different from the others? Sure. We're a
0: think tank. So we do, we're basically focused on research and public education, media stuff. We testified before Congress. We just testified yesterday before Congresswoman Omar, which was a real experience. It uh, <laughs> oh, wasn't me. It was one of my staff people, so luckily enough. But um, So that's what we do. In other words, we don't get involved in, uh, you know, fact your congressman now kind of stuff. That's more what Numbers USA and FAIR does. Mm-hmm. Where And they also do local, like in state capitals, advocacy, that sort of thing. What we do is research, publication, you know, how many... How many immigrants are there? How many are on welfare? Uh, How is the mechanics of the system working? In other words, uh, sanctuary cities, who's getting released, which ones, where are the sanctuary cities? It's one of our most popular things is a map of all the sanctuary jurisdictions, states, counties, cities around the country. So basically, as a think tank... We do research, you know, uh, halfway down a newspaper story when they need a quote from somebody. That's what we do.
2: So tell me then, since uh, that's one of the most pressing things, we hear and have, what's really strange to me is, Um, for years, I've been on the air hearing people telling us that there are 11 million illegal immigrants in this country. But yet, year after year, we keep saying that there are more and more people pouring in this country. But that number never changes. We're not deporting as many as that that are coming in and crossing the border illegally, so what is the real number?
0: Well, nobody really knows. FAIR has just recently come out with an estimate saying it's about 14 million. I saw that. We haven't taken that apart yet to look at, you know, kind of because it's all based on your assumptions about X, Y, and Z, and you change a couple of things here, and the number changes a lot. So it could be um but the reason the number stayed at 11 or 12 million for so long is first of all illegal immigration new illegal immigration did go down because to some degree because basically everybody in rural mexico who was going to leave has already left i mean literally Mm -hmm. rural mexico has now it's old people and kids and that's it you know Mm -hmm. what i mean because what happened with mexico was they made that big transition from the farm to the city. Same thing happened here. It's happening in China on a big scale now. problem is because our border security was so crummy, a lot of them moved to our cities instead of to their own cities. Right. So illegal immigration is still there. I mean, it's a big thing, but the new illegal immigration isn't as much as it was before. So that's one reason. The other thing is people don't stop being illegals just because they get deported. Some people leave on their own, but a lot of people... Finagle green cards, so there's a kind of permanent rolling illegal alien amnesty, because you know you you married somebody or you you you're, you came illegally but you were on a waiting list for one of the legal immigration categories, and then your number comes up, and you go back to your home co- American consulate in your home country and say, wow, that's great. Um, thank you, Uncle Sam. I look forward to moving to America and to my apartment that I already have there. Right, so, right. So my point is there's always churn. There's people coming and going, the illegal population. It could be higher than that 11 or 12 I million. Mean, it could be 14. It's not – I mean, I'm not going to grab that number and say it's right because we haven't – I'm not saying it's wrong. We just haven't looked at the details. But it <coughs> isn't 20 million or 25 that some people have said it couldn't be that big because if it were – you would see it in the death records, the birth records, the grocery store statistics. In other words, you can't just misplace 10 million people in a modern society and, you know, not know they're there. Two or three million, yeah. What Ten are the, million, no.
2: What are the caravans doing to these numbers, though? When I mean, we talk about the triangle Central American countries who have, of course, you know, been, been all the rage now, and, and they're coming up here and they're requesting asylum. How do you, at CIS, count asylum seekers who have officially, you know, made their request and claimed that they're being persecuted and so on, and then they're set free? Essentially, they are legal aliens, but they're called asylum seekers, so they don't count on the rolls, I assume.
0: Some are, some aren't, because if they snuck across the border and then flagged down the border patrol and said, hi, you know, please, they're illegal aliens who are then applying for asylum. But a lot of people applying for asylum just walk up to the immigration officer at a legal crossing point and say, hello, Mr. American immigration officer. I fear being returned to my home country. Let me in and apply for asylum. Those people are not illegal aliens. We let we process them there and let them in legally.
2: So now, now that's from from a from a formal st- vantage point uh, for a classification stand. But in essence, if they have no intention of returning for their asylum hearing in six months to three years, which is average of what I'm I'm told right. yeah. that it takes to have one of those, yeah. they, they are they, they essentially are illegal they become, aliens. They
0: become illegal aliens, but once not until it,
2: they don't show up for once.
0: Their, yeah, once they're, basically once it ordered removed. Right. And they don't leave that's when they become illegal aliens. Okay,
2: uh, so, so do, do those change the numbers at all? And and what degree, kind of an impact do they have, do those have on well, for example, we're sitting here at FAIR and we talk about the fiscal burden of illegal aliens and they talk about that in every aspect including wages taken from legal uh, immigrants and American citizens, you know, especially the you know low-skill or no-skill labor jobs and so on and so forth that they predominantly come here and take. All of those things have an impact. So do these asylum seekers who have no intention of going back or Coming in and showing up for their hearings and becoming illegal aliens, don't, don't we have to factor that into the numbers and into the dollars? Um, <laughs>
0: yes, yes, but and the reason I say but is a lot of these people are still in the queue for asylum hearings. So if you're if if you are you know waiting for your two years or three years for your asylum hearing, mm-hmm. you haven't become an illegal alien yet. That's the that's number one. As far as the cost, there's no question it has an effect on wages for workers but the question is is there a welfare cost and there isn't that much there is some illegal immigrants use relatively limited welfare program there's a few like emergency medicaid and a few others the real cost of the welfare cost of illegal immigration is when they have kids here who are u.s citizens right because they then are eligible for everything but and and some of these anti-borders groups say well that doesn't count because they're american citizens they are but the four-year-old is not using the food stamps, the EBT card, to go to the grocery store. He's not the only one eating the food. You know right. what I mean? And you would be feeding your kid if we weren't paying for it. So we are, in fact, subsidizing illegal immigrant families. The, most of that
2: subsidy, though, comes if they have U.S.-born kids. Do we have a legal immigration uh, problem? We're talking to Mark an executive director of the Center for Immigration Studies. Do we have a legal immigration problem here as well? I was talking to, again, Chris from uh, Numbers USA who said they would like to see the legal immigrant. We're taking around around 1.1 million legal immigrants into this country every year cut in about half. Uh, to make it more sustainable for those who are here and and that doesn't count the 50,000 or so refugees that we should allow in as well But w- do you have a stand on that?
0: Yeah, I mean there's no question the numbers are too high um, We take about a million one point one million 1.1 million legal immigrants another half million plus So-called temporary workers and others right. that end up becoming immigrants eventually so the numbers are really high um, my take on it is not so much a magic number. It's so, it's, it's, the basic point is that mass immigration, is not consistent with a modern society that the immigrants aren't really that different from a hundred years ago we are we have a post-industrial knowledge based economy in the old days we had industrial or agricultural economy right. right where you didn't really need to know that much you know what I mean I mean you still have to work but you didn't need education we have a welfare state in a way that we didn't before and I'm pretty conservative I think the welfare state should be more tightly run but we're not going to get rid of it I don't want to get rid of it um, Technology Shrinks the world. And that's a good thing. You can fly across the Atlantic in a few hours instead of three months in the hold of a ship. But that makes assimilation and security issues more complicated than they were in the past. The basic shorthand is we've changed. Conditions have changed. We can't have a 19th century immigration policy in the 21st century world. So the way I approach it is, Zero-based budgeting immigration. Start at zero, and then which people we want to let in. Husbands, wives, and little kids of American citizens, real Einsteins, and a handful of real refugees.
2: Last thing in 30 seconds, everything you just said is reasonable and important, but you said you guys don't do the, hey, go contact your congressman thing. We're just a think tank. How do you get what you think and what you guys come up with to the right people to make
0: decisions? Well, I mean, we're a source that congressional offices use all the time for information. Okay, to but you're, media, just, you're, just, you you're just going directly
2: to them, not going through the people, essentially. Yeah, the basically. And,
0: but I mean, you know, we're happy to help educate the people, but we're not telling you take this and call your congressman and tell them to vote no on vote one, you bill 123 that's the different business from what we're
2: in that's why we invited you to be here so you. you can indeed educate the people and it is really important that they learn this Mark Krikorian Center for Immigration Studies thank you so much for the time we appreciate you. you coming Thanks. by alright it is 1030 we'll continue right after this short time out live in Washington D.C. holding their feet to the fire with the Federation for American Immigration Reform 2019 back after this oh,
0: Life from the Federation for American Immigration Reform. It's the Bob France Authority on AM
2: 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed, it is. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us on AM 1420. The answer, it's 1036. We continue now from Washington, D.C., holding their feet to the fires indeed. What it is called, the Federation for American Immigration Reform has been put, has put this together now for 13 straight years. It's my second, excuse me, second year broadcasting here. Our goal is to hold the, uh, legislators' feet to the fire, the ones who aren't doing enough to support the Border Patrol people we're talking to, uh, to support the um, uh, uh, all of the workers who are carefully trying to protect our security and our sovereignty. But most of them are tied up today uh, down the block in that big dome building called the Capitol trying to impeach the president. Uh, so we're talking to law enforcement. talked to Brandon Judd earlier. We're talking to uh, organizers and uh, think tanks like uh, Center for Immigration Reform. And now we're talking to people that you don't think about. Uh, when you talk about the problem of illegal immigration, we see the illegal immigrants bringing drugs and all kinds of other things into our cities, but we sometimes think of the border as just this non-entity. It's just like an invisible thing. It's a border. But no, it's people's property that make up the border. And a lot of times the folks who own that property down there are victimized in ways that we don't see, and I have two of them in front of me right now. Their names names are John and Joe Beth Ladd. They are cattle ranchers in Arizona with property that abuts the border, and they've got first-hand knowledge of of uh, uh the problem that illegal, excuse me illegal immigrants bring and br- and leave behind them when they come through uh their territories and first of all thank you both for coming how are you good, good how are you? Having you john you mentioned this is your seventh year here yes sir and uh tell me do you uh w- w- what is the goal of
1: coming up here and telling your story each and every year well when fair invited us uh, just what you introduced <laughs> with was we live it um and so we've been telling our story to all the radio announcers and It's been... You've done a lot of good for us. Well, FAIR has done a tremendous amount. Well
2: they're hoping they're doing good. You know, that's all, that's one of the reasons I want to talk to you about this, is to find out have things gotten better? I kind of asked you casually off the air, Joe Beth, you can speak to this. Have things gotten any better for you and ranchers like you, whose property is oftentimes decimated by the illegal aliens crossing through, sometimes vandalizing, sometimes damaging livestock and all kinds of other things. Have, in the time that you have been uh, uh, telling the story here at FAIR over the last seven years, have things improved at all, or are we still yes. in the same crisis? No,
3: it, it's gotten better and like john had said when trump got elected it almost stopped but now there's beginning to be an uptick in the amount of people crossing the ranch again and i'm i'm concerned that that's going to continue that it's just gonna we're gonna get back to the numbers that we had before
2: now but you said things have gotten better since president trump was elected why do you think that they're not going to continue to get better
3: well I Partly because we've seen an increase of, of people coming across the ranch. I'm, you know, I'm concerned that that's going to continue because um, people are hoping that Trump isn't going to be elected again. And the, you know, trying to enforce the laws has pretty much been stalled, it seems like. And I I don't know if it's because the, you know, all the asylum seekers were coming across and turning themselves in, and now that um, Trump has asked Mexico to hold them there, I don't know if these people coming across are are saying, well, you know, we're not going to stay in Mexico now, we're just going to come across illegally, and we're not going to present ourselves to Border Patrol and say, you know, we want asylum. So I I don't know if that's part of the reason we're seeing an, an increase in people across the ranch, or if it's just...
2: Right, John. John, now you, you you said you've seen a big difference too since the president told, What what? Let's go back to two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Excuse me, no, I, I, that's the beginning of Obama. But you, you've been doing this for seven years, but you've been experiencing it for a long time. So let let's talk about the eight years that the president uh, President Obama was in charge of this, and let's talk about the three years or so that we have seen since President Trump. Tell me about the difference between those periods.
1: Well, a lot of the the fence was built, the wall, right, under Obama. Um, our our ranch was one of the first ranches that had a wall and started in 2006 with George W. With Bush, w. right. I remember they got that funding for right. a certain amount of fencing. Right. Um, they've caught a half a million people on our ranch in 30 years. Just on your ranch? Just on our ranch. Wow. Um, we have 10 and a half miles of the border. Um, I had a high hopes for George W., which didn't turn out i had zero hope with obama even though he was building the wall and and i'm in favor of the wall um there there's some drawbacks to it It, you know environmental type impact but if that's what we have to do to secure the border we'll do it just trump's rhetoric even before he was elected had an impact on shutting the problem down and that first year he was elected we probably didn't have a hundred people caught in a year Wow and and the the caravan issue started the uptick in activity sure we're um, border patrols catching about 40 people a day right now on us tell me what's happening to your property
2: and the properties of other folks like yourself so you see so you got about ten and a half miles of the border <clears throat> that is yours uh, you know your property but it so what are they doing as they cross and whether it's the asylum seekers like you said they're pretty much turning themselves in or just the regular um, you know immigrants trying to get into this country illegally what are they doing to your land
1: well it, the way it's evolved is originally they had people guiding them and We've had groups of 100, uh, most of the groups were 50 or 60, but the amount of foot traffic through it, and then they would spend the night while one of the guides, this was before cell phones, well, he'd have to walk to the highway, get to a payphone to get the vehicle that was going to pick them up loaded. So... We've probably had a thousand tons of trash on our ranch from it basically campsites. Uh, we've had a few fires from... And we're not just talking about
2: bottles from water bottled water. We're talking about... Human trash, too, right? Well, I mean, you yes, know, yes. the kind of stuff they're seeing in San Francisco and Los Angeles sure, right now yes. probably been done to your property for a long time now. And they and, and yeah, I've heard tale of, of a lot of, um, uh, like I said, vandalism, uh, damaging water supplies for your livestock, and oh, those yeah. kinds of things. Have you endured
1: endured any of that? Oh yeah, we've gone. We've lost millions of gallons <laughs> of water when they break a pipe to try and get a drink. They don't understand water floats. We tried putting in hose bibs for them. Uh, we've, we've given them a lot of compassion. We, When they used to come by the house, we'd feed them. We've sponsored three men to be citizens in my lifetime. They did it right. So we're not the racist tell me
2: tell tell me more about that first of all i'm glad to hear you say that because that's i was just talking to brandon john the border patrol and it really hits them hard to be called racist and fascist and nazis and all these other kind of things it is not about that it is not about color at all it is about the rule of law and it is about your property tell me more you said you sponsored three people for citizenship and
1: they did it right what does that mean well, you guarantee them a one year of employment while they attend citizenship classes and pay their fee. When they pass their citizenship test, they're citizens. And these are these are men that you met because they crossed through your property. Um, two of them were. One of them was our neighbor across the line. He his family ranched in Mexico. Okay. Uh, Long time family friends. And, right. And he said, I want to be an American. So it. We sponsored it. So given
2: the damage that can be done to your property and your water supply and all these other things that we're talking about right here now, you obviously have just come to accept this is a fact of life. You've fed them. You said you've allowed them opportunities <laughs> to drink without damaging your uh, you know, your water infrastructure and so on. Um, is that is that the new norm for ranchers down there? Or does anybody still stand there and they guard their property with shotguns and saying, get off my property, you can't do this?
3: Not, none of the ranchers have ever done that, it, as far as I know. You know, they've always been very compassionate, and, you know, we're not heartless people. You know, if somebody comes up and they need water, you give them water. It.
2: No, and I, I, I don't think you would be considered heartless, though, if you still didn't want people using your property as a right. conduit well, to come here and break yeah, American law. We don't want them you know what doing I mean? That, right. Especially if they're, if, if they are trashing yeah. it and, and, and leaving behind the waste and all the other things that we're talking yeah. about here. Uh, I don't think anybody would call you heartless if you said, we don't want this anymore, you gotta stop yeah. this. So, uh, so is, I mean, you just end up cleaning it up yourselves? I mean, you do your, uh, do, do Border Patrol agents work with you at all? Do you talk to your representatives and say, Hey, we need some help. There's
1: just too much of a flow coming across our, our, our acreage. We've or?
3: talked and talked and talked.
1: Yeah. Uh, number one, the, the Border Patrol is being treated absolutely terrible. Um, it isn't their job to clean that trash up. It's not their job to babysit kids. They are law enforcement protecting the country. And... Washington has degraded them to the point it, it's a, just terrible. Yeah, that when you're talking about ranchers with guns protecting the property, if if any rancher does that, they're going to go to jail. That's that's the
2: thing that's a problem You've for me. It. I mean, I, I you know obviously I don't live on a ranch and I don't live on a border, but somebody comes into my property. I don't know what their intention is. Uh, I'm going to defend my property and my family. And that's the thing that I I just don't understand how they expect you guys to do that. You're feeding folks. Do you have any idea, John, of the group of people that may be coming through and, and, and they're hungry and they're thirsty and so on and so forth? You have no idea of telling which of them are just migrants coming to try to work on farms and make some money and which ones are cartel members. Or that, which ones are traffickers or anything else? Do you does that ever concern you?
1: Well, that that's the big concern. What we have now, what's coming across, that they're all involved with the cartel. Twenty years ago, we we had the people that were coming to America to work. Right now, it, it's a hundred percent. Those guys are involved with cartel. You don't want to mess with them. And that's that's how we survive. They don't mess with us, we don't mess with them. So that do, do you uh, still leave them food or, or yeah. access to water? Or? They they don't want to come around that. They, they don't want to be seen. Okay. They're they're wearing full camel. They're yeah. wearing carpet shoes and baklavas and they have a cell phone. That's how they get through. They're they're unguided. By people but it's a cell phone is how they're getting from the border to the highway now you showed me a picture before you came on John uh, of, of a wall uh, the the fence
2: or whatever you right. know it's razor-wired and it's about 18 feet high and you said that's effective yeah. uh, in, in keeping but obviously it's not long enough right because right. it doesn't extend the, the you know the length of the you know the span so people are going around it and still finding their way to come up through there's always
1: a hole and yeah it, it's a, a coincidental That no matter what Donald Trump gets the money appropriate for, it just isn't quite enough to finish it. Right. That that's that's true, and uh, although he is winning by reappropriating
2: some monies from you know various uh, you know uh, uh, Pentagon right. dollars, which which they should be, this is national security sure. in the same way that you know funding our military is. This mm-hmm. is part of national security. But uh, but I'm so glad you guys came by to share your story because again, we think about how does it impact us in our suburbs or in our cities or whatever, and there are it does it's huge. Obviously, the illegal, illegal immigrant crime in a lot of those places is, is off the charts, right. especially in the ones that are sanctuary cities. They come up through your property and then they they take root in ours and and because they know that they're not going to be you know uh exposed to law enforcement nobody's going to challenge them there so but nobody really talks a lot about the stuff that you guys face you're the, firm, you're, the you're literally the
1: front lines
2: because yes. your lines <laughs> that, a, your line is on the
1: border <laughs> that's that's right and you know one of the things we you ask about the political part of what we we've, we've been politicking for 30 years but in an election cycle we get a lot of visits from politicians as soon as they get elected or not you don't you hear don't from, hear them, from again. them again right, right. Yeah. and what when you talk about national security they, oh, they yeah we understand everything else but we've had 15 dead bodies on our ranch that seems to make an impact with them um, and that well, that's a pretty um, brutal thing to have to put up with when when you find dead bodies. It, it's- that's that's yeah. Then it's real. Yeah, then it's real. Joe Beth,
2: uh, last thing before you run. Um, since John just brought up the politics of it all, uh, almost every single Democrat that is in the campaign for their nomination to run against president trump has advocated in some form or another for open borders right no fences no walls no no security no border patrol just open borders come and go as you please um what what would that mean to you
3: oh yeah i i can't even imagine what it would mean for us it would just be it would be devastating you know we'd be overrun well I don't know. Maybe we wouldn't because the people could just come through the port of entry and you know have no problem. So
2: right, right. You
3: know, it just I I don't understand why they think that will work and why we can still be a country that we are now. And have all these extra people here. They're
2: still coming through your property because they can't bring drugs through the port of entry. They can't smuggle human beings through the port of entry. So they're still going to use whatever open spots on the border they can find. And that's the reason I wondered how you guys felt about that. Because I feel like if we lose President Trump, uh, and and especially to somebody who is a part of this open borders crowd, um, it's going to be devastating for you guys down there and obviously for so many more.
1: Well, the, the other thing is that politicians don't understand raising beef. Is a business. <laughs> We've been doing it 123 years, well, and they don't get their contribution to feeding the world as well as the U.S. And they don't realize how big a business raising beef is. I uh, I, I got to ask you this since you just brought that
2: up. Just yesterday, no, I'm sorry, Monday they did Shut Down D.C. On Friday they did the uh, climate strike and uh, the climate strikers and the Green New Dealers and all the rest of these... um Far left people who are worried about the planet, they don't want your your cattle farm to exist, your cattle ranch that's, rather to right. exist. That's right. Uh, literally, they want to wipe out red meat, which means they're going to wipe you guys out. And I don't know, right. Lord, how many, how, many, how many cattle ranchers, how many cattle ranches are there in this country? But that's an extraordinary thing. Again, you guys have a lot to lose here if uh, right. the wrong people and, take power.
3: And they have a lot to lose, too. You know, I'd like to see them live a day, a week, a month without... Not just without beef, but without any of the byproducts that you know comes from yeah. from beef. Yeah. You know, I, I, you know, do they wear any kind of leather? You know, insulin. Right. I, you know, I'd like to I see can, them
2: live a, a. I can tell you this: I don't want to go a day it. or a week or a month without yeah, well, beef. Well, we don't need <laughs> thank you. And not just what I wear, but uh, I ain't going that long without a burger. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Sorry. Right. Uh, John and Joe Bethlad, Ladd, uh, Arizona Cattle Ranchers, thank you for coming here. Thanks for sharing your story with all of these good folks uh, around the country, uh, represented here on Long Radio Row, and I really appreciate you telling our folks in Cleveland as well.
3: well we, we appreciate you having us. Yep,
2: thank, thank you so you. much both. Thanks. God bless, and uh, best of luck to you. All right, it is uh, 1052, so we've got to catch up here. Final segment coming up on the Bob France Authority live in Washington, D.C., at the Holding Their Feet for the Fire event with the Federation for American Immigration Reform. Right back. France, here on AM 1420, The Answer. We're
0: holding their feet to the fire. It's the Bob France Authority, live from the
1: Federation for American Immigration Reform.
2: All right, obviously, just a short segment here to wrap up the program. Uh, thanks so much for joining us as we continue continue live from Washington, D.C. Tomorrow, we will be back here again and um, hopefully talking. Well, I, I guess it's not going to work out. He's got a speech tomorrow. I just was greeted by Tom Homan, who is uh, the former uh, uh, direct, uh, acting director of ICE, and he is now essentially President Trump's border czar. He is a patriot non-paralleled i mean honestly he's uh he is just truly one of the very best and most devoted patriots to this country its security and its sovereignty that you will ever hear from and uh you know his schedule because you see him on fox all the time you probably hear him in a lot of other locations on national programs all the time uh he wanted to come onto this program but obviously we're out of time so we asked him to come on tomorrow sometime between 9 and 11. He's giving a speech tomorrow in an event that runs 9 to 11. So uh, Tom Holman will come on to this program uh, maybe sometime next week to kind of follow up on what we are doing here today. Rundown for tomorrow, FYI. Dan Stein will be joining me on uh, tomorrow's program. I'll just give you a little bio. He is the president of FAIR, which is running this uh, incredible event, holding their feet to the fire. Ken Cuccinelli is the acting director of U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Service. USCIS is an extraordinarily important organization and office uh, as far as um, securing our borders and uh, making sure that our laws are follow- followed. Excuse me. So Ken Cuccinelli will be on the program tomorrow. Richard Richard uh, Valdemar uh, is a transnational gang expert with the History Channel and ID Television. He's a former Los Angeles County Sheriff uh, in uh, California, obviously. And he's going to talk to us about the danger of gangs coming, the continued presence of gangs coming across this border into our cities and communities' poses. Ira Melman is uh, the fair uh, fair spokesman and media director. He's been on this program before. He'll be on tomorrow. Hector Garza is the national vice president of the Border Patrol Council. We talked to the president, Brandon Judd, today. But we'll get another perspective from Hector Garza tomorrow as well. And um, we are still working on a couple of other guests for the last portion of the show tomorrow. So we're going to be loaded for bear for another day sharing ideas Policies, talking laws, and hopefully talking with more lawmakers. Again, we were supposed to talk with some lawmakers today, but they have all been called into huddle over the announcement yesterday that Nancy Pelosi wants to impeach the President of the United States, which is just all kind of comical. All right, that is all the time that we've got. Do me a favor, though. Stay in touch with me, Um, even though the show is ending. Follow me on social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Parlor at FRANTZ Radio, France Radio, on Twitter, Facebook, and uh, parlor, and we will continue to share ideas about this and, of course, the transcript released today and the Democrats' move toward impeachment. So we'll continue that conversation off the air, back tomorrow on the air. Stay where you are. Mike Gallagher's is coming up next on AM 1420,
1: The Answer. Enjoy the silence